Welcome to the King's Cast, dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. Luke chapter 8, verse 40, we're going to pick up on this morning. It says this, Now when Jesus returned, a crowd followed him, for they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house, because his only daughter, a girl of about twelve, was dying. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for twelve years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, Someone touch me. I know that power has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. While Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, Don't be afraid, just believe and she will be healed. When he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in except Peter, John and James and the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She is not dead, but asleep. Verse 53, they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But he took her by the hand and said, my child, get up. Her spirit returned and at once she stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were astonished, but he ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened. This story here, uh, an amazing story, but I want to just unpack them. We're just going to spend a few moments this morning looking at this, but when it says Jesus just returned, it's talking about Jesus has just literally been at the other side of the of the lake in the Gerasenes area where he's just dealt with the demoniac. So he's just he's just crossed over from a region. If you read the story of uh, of, of Jesus meeting the guy and he sends the, the, the demons into the pigs and they all run down the hill and there's, there's havoc in that place. One of the things you'll find in that story is that at the end of it, um, Jesus is kind of rejected from that place. They don't want him around there, so he, he's now going to get in the boat and he's going to come back across. And we know that the, the guy who's delivered of the demonic ends up going into the city and kind of uh, starts telling people about what's, what God's done in his life. But effectively, Jesus is rejected. And so he gets in the boat, he comes back across, and when we picked up in verse 40, it says, Jesus returns. And the first thing he says is this, that the crowd welcomed him. Because they were all expecting him. Now what I want to talk today about is the fact that people, there's a two types of people sometimes that are expecting Jesus. They want more from Jesus or there's the people who kind of reject it and don't want to pursue him even further. And there was two types of camp here in a sense that were going on. But when Jesus returns in this story, it's very interesting that the people are expecting him. They're so eager. You can imagine them getting ready for Jesus' return to come back. And it says that they were looking forward to him coming. They were waiting. You can imagine they're thinking, I wonder how long he's going to be over at the other side of the lake. Because we're excited he's coming back. This is the man that heals the sick. This is the man that can, that can deliver people. He's coming back. And so they were so excited by this. Two different regions. Two different types of people. One that rejected him, but one that was waiting for him to come. But then moving on in this story, what I want to look at more importantly is there are two individuals that take it a lot further than just waiting for Jesus to come and that are excited for him to come back. We've just read about them. And it's Jairus who comes to meet with Jesus as he comes back. It says that the crowds were pushing against Jesus. 
The crowds were pushing themselves, following him as he came back, excited, ecstatic that he's back, and they were pushing against Jesus. You can imagine the the biggest crowd, the biggest, uh, if you look at some of the football games today, when people, there's crowds of people, and they're swarming around, and that's what it must have been like in this village, as he arrives back, Jesus here, and there's these crowds of people. And Jesus must have thought, wow, I've got a lot of people following me. I've got a lot of people who like me. This is amazing. This is what I want. I want to be able to teach them. But there are two individuals who seem to take it a little bit further. And they seem to pursue Jesus beyond the crowd. I want to say to you today, first of all, that you can get amongst the crowd. You can try and follow Jesus. You can try and pursue him. Look like you're following with the crowd. But really, your heart's not really pursuing him. You can be amongst that crowd that is pushing against Jesus, looking like you're part of the party, looking like you're not one of those who's rejecting him, but really, truthfully, in your heart, you're not really pursuing him. You're not really going that extra mile to pursue Jesus. Because listen to me, it's very clear that what Jesus always does special things through those who truly pursue him with their heart. Not on the outside, but those who really do pursue with their heart. First of all, we see that Jairus, the synagogue leader, he comes and he says he falls at Jesus' feet, pleading with Jesus. He falls at his feet. Now you imagine if there's crowds of people, he's got to get up close and he's got to fall at Jesus' feet. He's putting his, all his dignity out of the way and he, he, there he drops in front of everyone to plead with Jesus to come home because his daughter is dying at home. He's believed, he's heard the stories. I've heard Jesus is a healer. I want to meet this guy and I want him to come because my daughter is on the verge of death. Listen to me. Some of us today in this room are probably right now, you may not have got someone who's dying, but you are in a situation where it feels like something is totally dying. It feels like that that, that something's coming to the end of something in its life. It's had its expiry date and it's, it's now coming to the end. It feels like circumstances have died and you cannot do anything about it. And right there and then, Jairus, have you noticed this? That when things come in our lives and trouble comes our way, when things are difficult, the first thing that we always do is we run to God if we know what we're doing. Sometimes people ask, why is God allowing these things to happen to start with? I want to say to you, I've noticed the more and more trouble that comes on someone, the more and more people get close to Jesus. He wants us sometimes to start to trust him more than what we see around us. And so Jairus is coming with this desperate, desperate situation. And he comes along and to try and meet with Jesus, falling at his feet, pleading that he would heal his 12-year-old girl. But then there's also another person, another character, character number two, and this is the woman with the issue of blood, it says. He said she'd been bleeding for 12 years. 12 years. In other parts of scripture you'll read that she was paying doctors money, she was never getting well. Spending all of her money, never getting any better. So she knew what it was to spend money and to give and to give and try and make herself better. And there she was, seeing Jesus arrive back. And actually, right there and then, I want you to just get this in perspective, she would have been someone who society had kind of shunned. She was someone who society would have looked upon and given her a label and said, you're unclean. We don't want you around here. If you read Leviticus 15, it will, you'll see that the ceremonial laws would mean that she would have to be, she's not ceremonially clean. She would have to be away from them. They couldn't touch her. The Jewish laws. And right there and then she's there seeing the crowd thinking, wow, what a buzz. Jesus just arrived back. I want to be part of this. In fact, I've heard that he can heal and I want to get close to him. But to get close means you've got to start touching some people to get down there. He says if people were pushing, she would have had to touch people. Two desperate situations. Two desperate people amongst a crowd that looked like they were on fire for God. But let me tell you, God is looking for not fans, he's looking for followers. God is not looking for people who are just fans. He's looking for people who will follow with their heart. You cannot fool God into thinking that you are in pursuit of him when your heart's not really there. You can come to as many meetings as you want. You can go to the best conference in the world. But you cannot, you cannot um, try and hide it from God where you really are in your heart. 
And I want to encourage you. Some people I think that have been there that day pushing and saying, let me get to Jesus, let me get to Jesus, pushing through the crowd. And they'd have been thinking, I- I'm his best friend, I'm the one who's getting close to him, I- I'm really going to follow this guy. But deep down, God, I believe, saw the heart of these two individuals above everyone else. We see it in the story that he recognizes that he's been touched. I want to say to you today that they were willing to risk everything on Jesus Christ. They were willing to risk everything. They were willing to risk their humiliation, to go forward, the synagogue leader, to bow at his feet and to plead with Jesus. And then the other woman who has this issue with blood for 12 years are willing to risk everything. The title of the message this morning is Risking It All. Risking it all. You may think you're risking it. You may think you're putting everything on the line. But I believe God wants to challenge us sometimes to step a little bit closer. And start to trust him a little bit more with our lives. And to risk everything. We need to be prepared to break out for a breakthrough. These people broke out of the mold of who they were. This label that they've been given. This identification they've been given as, you, you know, you're a synagogue leader. You can't bow your knee to Jesus. You can't really bow your knee and start pleading that it will come to your daughter. By the way, you're the one who's unclean. You're the woman who's unclean. You can't do this. You're ceremonially unclean. Stay where you are in your home. You can't push through the crowd. But these two individuals decided to not let the limitations of things around them determine their steps. And I want to tell you today that the enemy wants you to start to think living in your own little world. Being limited by a limited view of who God is and never really daring to push any further. This morning I want to talk about risking it all. Jesus wants us to give everything. For him. If you want to be a fan, I'll tell you what a fan is and a follower. When I was younger, very young, I, I was never really into football that much. And as a young boy growing up, from, from up north near that area, lots of my family were into football. And so you, you kind of had to be. And they, if, does anyone know a team called Barnsley? Yeah, just a few. Hence the reason why I'm not into football. But some of my friends and family, they were, they were real supporters of, of, of Barnsley Football Club. And they would go, and, and every season they would go and they'd get the, uh, the season tickets. They'd sign up, buy the season ticket, and they'd say, Phil, are you going to get one? And I wanted to be really part of the crowd, because if I didn't, it looked like I was the odd one out. I never bought a season ticket. So I would go just to the matches that sounded quite decent and just buy a ticket for those matches. But what I, what I want to tell you is that when I did that, I was never really following them. In fact, to this day, I bought the kit, I bought everything, I looked like I was part of all my family members, but really deep down, I wasn't a season ticket holder. I looked like one, anyone could think I was on the times I went, but I wasn't a season ticket holder. I wasn't prepared to spend the money and give everything I was to this team, because really they didn't mean anything to me. What meant more to me was the people who were watching me to see that I was part of the same group of people. This is what people do. You go to matches. This is what you do. And and, and that's what I fell into this trap. And there is a difference this morning between a fan and a follower of Jesus Christ. Someone who looks like they've got it all together. They're wearing the kit. They've got the badge. They keep buying the kits each year. And they they don't buy the season ticket. But everyone thinks they're a season ticket holder. And you come to church and you look like you're the business. But really deep down, you're not a season ticket holder. Because you're not prepared to sign up in advance for what's to come, despite what's going to happen. You see, what I didn't like is that as soon as Barnsley didn't do very well, I just didn't go. That was the great thing about not being a season ticket holder. I didn't have to go to the matches if things weren't doing very well. But they were prepared to pay the price for a year ahead, despite what the team was going to do. Jesus is looking for you to lay down your life, to risk everything, give him everything in your life, despite not understanding what's going to happen in the year ahead. He wants you to sign up and say, right, the cost is this, I'm going to give my life to you, Jesus. I'm going to surrender some things. I want to pursue you, despite not fully understanding what's ahead. But I'm prepared to do that. Jesus said this, you need to count the cost. In Luke chapter 9, just the next chapter along, he says this, verse 23 to 26. Then he said to them all, Jesus, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. 
For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? The devil wants you and me in a place of comfort. He wants us in a place where we're not willing to give and surrender everything we are to him. He wants us in a place where we think, this is true Christianity, I'm living in my little bubble, but God is wanting you to start popping the bubble and get out. To start doing something and doing something different for him, pursuing him with everything whether you lose or not. I love the fact that these people were willing to break out of the mold and do something. And listen, in both situations, what happens as a result is that God's power comes into action. God intervenes and does something so amazing that they are the key story figures. Not the crowd. These are the people who see God. These are the people who see God move. And for you today and for me, we've got to start thinking, am I in a bubble? Am I living this kind of Christian, uh, kind of fake life, really? Am I living this kind of, I look like I'm part of the thing, but really I'm not, because really my heart's not really pursuing. I'm not willing to lay down everything. Do you know what? There's only Jesus who knows that. There's only Jesus this morning who knows your heart. I can't detect it. The best prophetic person is not there to look into your life and say, you're not a person who's really following God. That's not the purpose. Jesus is the only one who can read into our hearts, understand and detect who we are. Jesus said, you've got to count the cost. I put the picture up today and you see it of risking all the little goldfish in the, in the bowl. We've never had a fish in our house, I never had one when I was younger, but one, one of the, when we moved into our, into our, in our house just in, I think it was 2006, the one we're in now, I remember going to the garden and they were showing us around the house and at the bottom of the garden there was this fish tank outside, a big f- pond, not a tank, a pond. It was huge. And they took me down to the bottom of the garden and they said, you know, we, we're going to leave this here. And I thought, oh, you're joking. I don't want a fish pond. Why do I want a fish pond? And I looked at this pond and he said there's a few fish in there, but particularly there's one that's been there years. It's this koi carp. It's huge. And there's this koi carp swimming around in this pond. And there was a pump in. He says, everything's there. You just need to keep feeding them every day. And I honestly, I just didn't want this fish. But I kept feeding it. It kept getting bigger and bigger. This koi carp, I'm not sure how much it was worth. People tell me it's worth quite a lot of money. And so every single day it used to drive me nuts. I'd be going down to the bottom of the garden, getting the food for something I didn't want to keep. And I used to look and I'd be sat there and the other thing was is that the, 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 the actual pond I think was leaking in some areas so I was trying to fix that and I was trying to do everything to keep this fish alive and I didn't really want it. And Emma was in the house watching me and I was right at the end of the garden with a horse pipe and the food thinking I'm buying this food for no reason. And this fish I used to look at it sometimes and in the quietness of just staring I used to think this fish is just swimming around. What on earth is the point in these things? Sorry for those who like fishes. I'd rather be a fisher of men. And I was looking at the fish thinking, and they say, don't they, that, that fishes have a th- something like a three-second memory span. I think koi carp apparently go a little bit more than that, bless them. And this thing was swimming around, I'm thinking, I wonder if it, it gets bored. You know, or does it just get around and see me and then goes back around again and sees me again and thinks, oh, new person. And, and it goes around in circles thinking, and, and it, doesn't, it doesn't really see anything other than that, and it just... I hope it doesn't have a, a big memory span because then it can forget who I am and, you know, it knows that I'm feeding it. That's, that's one thing and spending all this money. But anyway, we, we had this fish and to be quite honest, I know this sounds quite cruel, but I just thought I hope it passes away gently and nicely in the night sometime. I'm not going to do anything to the fish. I just hope that one day it, this happens. So anyway, we were on holiday once and we were camping and, uh, this is kind of, I suppose I should have never asked this to happen, but we were away camping and we, we were just on this, uh, outside the tent one night with my mum and dad and we said, we'll have a barbecue. So we have a barbecue and, I, and, and Emma said, I don't want any meat, I want salmon. So we cooked salmon on the barbecue, so we had all this salmon cooking away on the barbecue. Right just before we were about to eat this dish, I get a phone call on my mobile from my next door neighbour to tell me that there's been a major incident back at our home. And that the pump has broken, the whole of the tank has emptied, and there is a koi carp, unfortunately, who's passed away gently in the night. 
Well, as you can imagine, I was really sad at the time. His, his name actually was Colin the Coy. We called him Colin. Even though it doesn't start with a K. And I sat there and listened to me. I'm, the reason I tell you this story is because I can, I, I can never eat salmon in the same way again. Every time we sit down to eat salmon, I think of Colin. We say Colin the Coy. Poor Colin. And the neighbor said, what do you want me to do with the Coy? I said, well, you can do it. And I let him do whatever he needed to do with it. What I was saying is this, is I used to look at that fish thinking, well, you know, it just, thankfully it's not got much of a memory. But it would swim around in this limitation. That's all it had. And then one day, the water went from that place. The only time that it saw there was something bigger is when it died. For a split second, the whole thing empties out the tank or the pond. And then all of a sudden it sees there's something for just a second before it forgets. That there's something bigger than this. And I want to tell you today that some of you today are like fish swimming around in a tank. That you are getting so used to your lives. We get so used to the way we're living. We think that this is it. We think there's nothing else. And we're not willing to get out of the zone or the comfort. And we, and the only time that we're ever going to realize there was something bigger is the day you die. When Jesus says, why didn't you do something greater? Why didn't you pursue me more? Why did you just keep swimming and just accepting things as status quo? And some of us today need to remember, take the opportunity before the pump breaks and the water goes and we die, that there is something special you can pursue for Jesus Christ. And it is greater than anything that can be on offer in this world today. He wants you to risk it all, to jump out of that tank and get out. And start doing things and pursuing him to see God do great things in your life. What is it that makes these two characters stand out to start pursuing God for something different? I want to look at three things that we need to, I believe, let go of in our lives. You've got to let go of in your life to see God move. To see you be a pursuer of him. To see you be someone who's willing to go that extra mile instead of just being a fan. Number one is this, let go of your pride. Let go of your pride. One of the greatest hindrances is pride. When I was, before I came to Christ, honestly in my life, I just, I was, I was a proud person. I didn't want to hand my life to Jesus. I was quite a proud person. I didn't want to do that. The biggest hindrance to you today is being proud of who you are. Listen to me, I don't care who you are today, the Bible says that we are weak. Without Jesus, we're nothing. You could be the greatest person on this planet. I was watching a program the other day about Ronaldo. The amount of cars, they said, how many cars have you got to him? And he says, I don't know. I thought, wow. Here's me worried about my flywheel on my car braking and this guy's got too many cars that he doesn't know how many he's got you know you can be the greatest person you could be Ronaldo today you could be the greatest person in the world but you if you do not have Jesus and you don't understand who he is you could be the proudest person but listen your pride's got to go your pride's got to go to pursue Jesus Jairus the synagogue leader first of all one character He comes and it says that he lets down his pride. He falls at Jesus' feet and he's pleading with him. Now I want you to picture this just for one moment. Because if you read in your own time, in Luke chapter 4, just a few uh, chapters before, in Luke 8. So we just read the story. You've got a synagogue leader who's fallen to his feet in front of a crowd. And he's pleading with Jesus to come to his dying daughter. Things ain't good. And he's there pleading. You look four chapters before that what Jesus does. He walks into, he walks into Nazareth in the synagogue in Luke chapter four, just four chapters previous. And he says this, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind and set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He said this and he said today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Okay? Why do I say this? He sat, he, he stood in the synagogue, declared, 
I am this person that was prophesied of in Isaiah. I am the one. I'm here. I'm Jesus. I'm the Messiah, by the way. I know you think I'm the guy who's just been uh, uh, in this village and around here and coming to the synagogue. But I'm telling you today, my ministry begins. I am this person. Everyone looked at him. But you read the story and it says this, that all, all the people in the synagogue were furious. They were furious. In chapter 4, the synagogue, this synagogue, and the distance between these synagogues, by the way, is about 20 miles. Jairus is a synagogue leader. Jairus would have had some Twitter feed to tell him that in Luke chapter 4, that, hey, by the way, you know, Jesus, who's been coming to the the synagogue for years, he's just stood up today, and we give him the opportunity to read the the scriptures. But, by the way, he said something a little bit different today, and uh, he said that he is that person. And uh, by the way, we were really furious about this because we don't believe it. And and Luke chapter 4 says this, that they took Jesus. These are the people in the synagogue. They took Jesus and tried to throw him off the top of a cliff. Tried to kill him in Luke chapter 4. Now we see in Luke chapter 8, a synagogue leader. And a synagogue leader was the type of person who would have chose who would speak and present and talk. He now comes to Jesus, the one who in Luke chapter 4 they've just been trying to kill because of what he says he is and who he says he is and what he can do in his power. This man decides in front of a crowd to kneel and plead. I don't know about you, but I think that he was in, on the verge of probably being killed himself. Saying, you think, you're pleading with this man, you think he's, he can do this? We tried to kill him, don't you realize? And let me tell you, his pride, he didn't care what anyone thought. He didn't care, even though he had the stature of of a synagogue leader, he was prepared to kneel down and plead with Jesus Christ. I want to tell you today that your pride's got to go. If you want to get to Jesus, you've got to, despite what anyone says around you, whether it's fear of man and you're worried, you've got to get on your knees, plead with him, and don't worry about anything else around you. Jairus wanted his daughter free and he was prepared to swallow his pride. I don't, I don't know how desperate your circumstances are today, how desperate your life's got. If you may not be staring death in the face, you may not, not be staring someone who's ill to this point, but you might have a situation today where you feel like there is no answer to this. You are so desperate and now you're willing to, to give everything to Jesus, whether people like it or not. I want to encourage you today, it's the best thing you could do. Submit to him. Those who reject Jesus are the ones who will fall. In 1 Peter 2 verse 6, Peter quotes from Isaiah chapter 28 and chapter 8. He says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone. The one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. And 1 Peter 2 verse 8 says, A stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. I don't know what Jesus is to you today, but he's either, he's one or the other. He's either a rock that was going to make you fall, or he's something that is going to be a rock that you can stand on. Trust with all your heart. And I want to encourage you today that his word comes to you and says, don't be tripped up by me. By trying to hold on to your pride. Don't be tripped up, because those who trust in me will never be put to shame. You've got to throw everything. Risk it all to pursue him. Proverbs 16 verse 18 says, Pride goes before destruction. A haughty spirit before a fall. Pride goes before destruction. A haughty spirit before a fall. Listen to me. Pride, if you hold on to your pride and you think I'm some, you're something you're not and you're pursuing your life and you're not willing to lay it down in front of Jesus and pursue him or even give your life to Jesus if you don't know who he is yet. If you're not willing to do this for him, let me tell you that you will fall. The Bible says that pride, if we hold on to ourselves, if we trust in ourselves, we will fall. Pride goes before destruction. Then there's the woman with the issue of blood. Another character. She was a social outcast pushing through the crowd. As I said earlier, she would have been pushing through. She spent all this money. Listen, before she even goes to touch, all she said she wanted to do was touch the hem of Jesus' garment. That's all she wanted to do. That's faith. 
That is what faith is. Not, I want to get to uh, the evangelist and I want to, uh, him to pray a special prayer. She just wants to touch the hem of his garment. Because she knows of the story she's been hearing. The faith she has is that if she just touches it, she'll be healed. So she starts a journey. She starts pushing through. But what I find interesting is that there have been people saying, What are you doing? Why are you pushing? And she'd have had to touch other people to get to touch Jesus. The very people who would have condemned her. And listen, your journey to Christ, your walk down to him through the crowd and pushing through, is not going to be easy sometimes. You're going to have to go past some people, people who don't believe and they're saying, get back to where you are. You don't belong here. You don't have, you, sh- you don't deserve this. You don't deserve forgiveness. You don't deserve anything. You are who you are. And that's your label. And there's some people here today who are not prepared because they're scared of pursuing Jesus, laying it all down on the line because they're scared of what people will say. Their pride is so much safer to stay where I am. I'm going to hold on to my pride till the day I die. Listen, don't do it. Don't wait till you die till you realize what was on offer. What you realize what Jesus had for you. She swallows her pride. She swallows her pride and she goes through the crowd. Number two is the next thing. First, we need to get rid of pride. Number two is this. You need to let down your guard. Let down your guard. Let's look back at Luke chapter 8 verse 45. When Jesus felt someone touch the garment, he turns around and he says this, Who touched me? Then it says this, when they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, no, 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 someone touch me. I know that power has gone out from me. Then the woman, listen to this, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she could be instantly healed. Then he said to her daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Pride is one thing, but a hard heart is another. Pride is one thing, but it will develop a hardened heart. Do you know something? There's only one thing today that will soften your heart. Not someone's kind words. Not watching Downton Abbey. Not watching some of the nice programs that will make you feel a little bit emotional for a while. Not waiting for someone to play a nice song to make you feel soothed and soften you. But there is only one thing that can soften a man's heart or a woman's heart. That is the Holy Spirit. He can take a heart that is made of stone and he can do what no preacher can do. He can soften someone's heart. Soften it so that you will receive him. I can't do it. No one else can. But right now, we ask Holy Spirit to come. Begin to soften hearts. By the power of your Holy Spirit, in this room, begin to soften hearts this morning. One of the things we need to do to receive Jesus is let down our guard. One of the great things that I did for many years is I held on to this guard. I protected my heart. This is who I am. And this is my heart. No one's coming in. But the moment I said, yes, I can't do this any longer, Jesus set me free. He broke through. And in minutes, I was prayed for. God touched me powerfully and softened my heart. He softened me inside. This woman, she was trying to covertly get to Jesus. She was trying to covertly get through the crowd, touch the garment, hoping that no one would spot her. So she's there creeping through. People have been shouting at her. But she gets really close to Jesus. And the next thing she wants to do is touch his garment. And hope that he doesn't recognize her. Hope in embarrassment she doesn't have to say, have a conversation with him and say, listen, I've got a problem for 12 years I've had. She thinks I can do this covertly. Some of you today are not prepared to let down your guard. And you want to meet with Jesus, have a relationship with Jesus on a covert basis. You want to get close to Jesus, get through the crowd, you put up with some of the, the hassle, but you're willing, you're not willing to have some direct conversation with him, and what you want to do is go in and out and try and get your miracle, try and get your touch from God, and try and do it covertly and not intimately. He says she tried to go unnoticed. She tried to get close unnoticed that no one could see her. Jesus thought, no, I'm not having this, because I love the fact you pursue me. 
So he turns around and says, who touched me? He didn't say, by the way, I'm a prophet. You there, the lady, you're the one. No. He didn't point her out and put her down. He gave her an opportunity to respond. That's the way Jesus does it, and that's where you should do it in prophecy. Don't put people down. Don't identify people's sin. He didn't turn around and say, it's you. You're the one. He said, who touched me? Then the guy said, no one touched you. Look at the people pushing against you. He said, no, no, no. Someone touched me because I felt power. The reason he felt power is because he felt the faith of this woman. The faith of the woman drew power, energy from him. What that felt like, I don't know, but it sounds amazing. That's why I always encourage people when you're praying for the sick and you're going out on the streets and you're doing anything, don't you wait for feelings sometimes. Power is flowing through you if you believe it. Power flows through us. Who touched me, Jesus said. The woman tries to go and notice. But then this is what happens. When she realized she cannot go and notice, he says this, verse 48. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him. In other words, you've got to be public about your faith. You've got to drop the guard. Try not to have some covert relationship where it's just you and him and you're trying to just go under the radar. But she says, that's it. I'm going to tell you now the reason. And I want to tell all the people so everyone would have listened to why she touched. So you can imagine everything's focus has now gone off Jesus. And now everyone, the crowd, is listening to the woman tell her story. Listen, I, I've had this problem for 12 years and I've just pushed through the crowd and I, I believe that if I touch this garment I'd be healed and by the way I am, I've just received the miracle. All of a sudden the people are looking and listening to a woman tell this story. She went public about her faith. The Bible says that we should be public about our faith. <clears throat> when you get baptized, you're public about it. The whole point of baptism in water is that you're saying I'm making a public declaration of my faith to say that I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. Listen to me. I want to say something so key. Some of us like to go in on a covert basis. Some of us want to know Jesus. You may not know him yet on a covert basis. You may want to know him and have this relationship that no one else sees and think it's not important to even go to church. Listen, church doesn't save you, Jesus does. But if you, if you accept Jesus, you'll want to go to church. If you're not going to church, then there's a problem with your relationship with Jesus, I think. Because you should be want to be around other people encouraging them and lifting and building other people up. That's the key. I don't come here because I'm trying to win brownie points with God. He's not going to go to me at the end of time. He's not going to say, Phil, you went to so many services. But I want to tell him, Lord, I'm, I'm thankful I did the work for you. I didn't try to earn brownie points because the brownie points were earned by Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary when he died for you. He, he bought them, every single one of them. But I want to tell you, you want to get into the, you want to get around people who know Jesus. I want to be around people who know him. I want to be around people who are spirit filled on fire for God because I don't want what the world's got to offer. Jesus died in public. She declares this public faith. She says, okay, I understand you've caught me out. I can't go unnoticed. This is the deal. I tried to do it covertly, but actually I want to tell you all. I want to be public about my faith. Jesus Christ was the one who was public for you. Listen to me. Jesus did not die in an electric chair hidden in a room on death row so that only family members could come and watch. Jesus did not die for you in a private place where no one else could watch, only close people. He would died in a public place. When Romans would execute and they would crucify, they would take their, their, their people and put them in a public place. I don't know whether you, what you believe about the position of where Jesus died. You go out on these Israel tours, they'll tell you all different things of different locations. But I believe that they took him to a place that was public. They put him right there where the people were and they would have walked by each day looking and, and cursing him. Jesus looking down at them saying, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. Jesus died in public for you. The least we can do is be public for him. He died in public for every one of you. He didn't die in a private place where they said family members come and then you hear the story afterwards. He died in a public place and people watched him die. 
Thankfully, he rose again. People also knew that. And they saw that. This wasn't just some electric chair. It wasn't something hidden away. It wasn't something done covertly. But Jesus just wants the same from you. He says, I want you to stand up for me, risk everything for me, and be public about who you are for me. Stop trying to do things unnoticed. But stand out for me and be public. In Romans 10, verse 8 to 11, Paul says this, The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the message concerning the faith we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. It's with your heart that you believe. But it's with your mouth that you profess. I want to encourage you. Some people believe in their heart. They keep it quiet. But God is looking for people who are beginning to say, Do you know what? I'm not going to try and go unnoticed anymore. I'm going to risk everything for Jesus. I'm going to be public. I'm going to be public for God. I'm not going to care anymore about what anyone thinks. I'm going to drop my guard on my heart and let him in. I'm going to wear my heart on my sleeve for God. I'm not going to be this closed person, but I'm going to let him have every part of my life. Finally, number three, the other thing you need to do is leave your fears. In Luke chapter 8, verse 49 to 50, he says this, While Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, Don't be afraid, just believe, and she will be healed. Jairus now receives this news. He's trusted in God. You've got another character now back on the scene. You've got to picture this. He's just watched the woman profess about her healing. So he's just got into this exchange with Jesus. There's been a little interruption along the way because the woman's pushed through the crowd and she's been uh, you know, pushing towards Jesus. And he's just heard her testimony. He's just heard some amazing thing that's just happened. He's already spoken to Jesus, but now there's an interruption. The woman has pushed in and got her healing. Now Jairus, he's got a decision to make. A man, one of his friends, comes from the house and says, I know you've just invited Jesus back to the house, and I know that's where you're going, but by the way, she's dead. It's finished. There's no point trying to pursue this. She's dead. That's the end. Right there and then, Jairus has a decision to make. Do I listen to the voice of my friends, or do I listen to the voice of Jesus? Am I going to keep going for the greater miracle, for resurrection, or am I going to settle for the norm? Am I going to settle with what these guys are saying or pursue this? And right there and then he makes this decision. And I love the fact that Jairus decides to not listen to the voice of doubt that are coming around him and thinks, wow, I've just seen this woman get healed after 12 years. I'm going to believe now for resurrection. His faith had to switch from a healing to resurrection. And he decides and says, come on, let's go. Let's go back to the house. So they go. I don't know where you're at today, whether you're in between that situation, where you're in between the voice of doubt, what someone's saying to you, whether you should really believe for something greater, whether you should really pursue something bigger than you. But I want to encourage you today to leave the voice of doubt and fear away and pursue Jesus. Many of us, we don't surrender everything to Jesus. We don't trust him fully for the answer because we're scared of it going wrong. And that is the, that society today teaches us is to try and spread our trust among different things. Not to have trust in one thing. To put our, not put our eggs into one basket, but to spread them in case anything happens. I remember when I was in my previous job, they would bring me into a room and talk to me about pension plans. It's a, we need to discuss your pension. How do you want to distribute your pension? And I have no idea how I want to distribute my pension. I didn't really understand it. I just knew that I gave something. But they said, we want you to tell us which option do you want to choose? And I said, well, what's the safest option? They said, the safest option is to distribute across all markets. Because then you won't be, if one fails, at least you've got it spread across all markets. I thought, that's the one for me. I don't need to know anymore. Tick the box. I might have been wrong. But I just thought, it's safe. 
spread it across the markets. If one of the markets fails that they're investing in, then I'm fine. I've still got some of the others. I want to encourage you today. That's what society is teaching us today, is that we, we can't trust in one thing. Jesus says, I want you now to trust me and not any, what anyone else is saying. Follow me and come back to the house and see what I'm going to do. Because he says, she's not dead. She's not dead. I'm going to give you another voice today that says she isn't dead. And they go. They arrive there. And he says this, verse 51. Jesus arrived at the house of Jairus. He did not let anyone go in except Peter, John and James and the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She's not dead but asleep. And verse 53 says this, that the people outside the house, it continues again. It says this, they laughed at him. This is to Jesus, not to Jairus. They laughed at him knowing that she was dead. They laughed at Jesus when he said, she's not dead. And they laughed and thought, well, we know, we know more than you. We've just seen her. She's stone cold out. And they didn't allow these voices to come in. Jesus says, you stay outside. We're going in. Jesus goes in. And he tells a little girl to get up. And right there and then in that room, a miracle occurs. Resurrection life breathes into this girl. The spirit returns to her and she's alive. And she stands up. A miracle occurs. I don't know what you are trusting, whether you're trusting what people are saying. Listen, the moment you try to risk everything for Jesus and pursue more, this is what will happen. People start to say to you, you're a fanatic. You're trusting in something greater than yourself. Don't do this. Stay safe. Don't trust these things. Don't believe for miracles of healing. Don't believe that she's going to, she's dead. There's things in your life now, there's people in this room, maybe today, who are suffering with illnesses, you're suffering with problems, you're suffering with ailments, you've got uh, areas in your life that are not necessarily medical, but they feel like they're dead, and you feel like if you were to tell people that you could even believe that there could be a change in them, that people would laugh. But God wants to say to you today, I ain't laughing. I'm telling you that these things can change. I'm not laughing. These people may laugh. These people may believe that nothing can occur. But when we walk with Jesus, we walk with the one who has resurrection life. He can bring life into circumstances which are dead. Many years ago, I come to finish with this, but many years ago, when I say many, it's actually not that long ago, but two years ago, many. I I lose track of time. But I was just pulled this out the other day when I was preparing this, and I, you may have seen this on the internet. Um, but back in 2000, 2005, two years ago, 2005, ten years ago, sorry. <laughs> I am losing it. Ten years ago. I need, I need glasses. Ten years ago, I was in this church. And we were believing God to do great things. We were risking a lot to believe that God could do amazing things. And we started to pursue God. We started to pursue Him for the miraculous, for healing. What I want to tell you is that a lot of the things you see today happening and hearing about that God's doing through the church isn't just because of us just stirring up these ideas to start doing what the Word says. It actually comes from... Uh, a historical background of this church in the sense that the previous minister, Peter, would often pursue the great things of God and believe for bigger things. He would risk things. I used to walk alongside him and understand the way he worked and he would risk things and trust God for the greater. And many years ago we started to do this and we started to pray for the sick, we started to see results. And then one day um, we found out that the newspapers, Cambridge Even News, wanted to come along and to and report on what was happening on a Sunday morning. So they came here one Sunday morning, 10 years ago, in uh, November of 10 years ago. About a couple of weeks ago, 10 years ago it would have been. And they came here one Sunday morning. They, they took, we had the reporters in, they took photographs as we prayed for the sick. They wanted to report on it. And they said, we're going to do a small uh, piece on the inside of Cambridge Evening News on this, this thing that you're, you know, you're believing for. And so they did the photographs, they took a few testimonies, people were getting healed, and they went. That was on the Sunday morning. The Monday morning, I get into work, and I was working away that day, and I knew that they were going to be publishing the article in somewhere in between. 
And then later on at lunchtime, I go out on my lunch break and I went out for an hour and I come back to work in the office and there's about a team of eight or ten people in this marketing office. And I walk back into the office and the moment I walk back in the office, my boss comes out of his room and he holds this paper. On the front page, he said, the church is working miracles. Amazing healing claims of City Christian Group. Accidentally, they took a picture of me and called me Pastor Peter Cavanna. Maybe the, to this day, to this day, I've never lived this down. But I believe that Cambridge Evening News were being prophetic at that time. Of the things to come. If you've never seen this, have a look after if you want to. I don't think that's the full paper. But it says here, Pastor Peter Cavanna, pictured here. By the way, if you can't see from the back, that's me. It says, helped a 36-year-old man regain his voice, helped a young girl regain the feeling in her face, helped cure a teenager's injured knee. The congregation at the church is growing rapidly and attending the healing sessions. We, we had, they actually ended up doing another, uh, slot a few days later. So they actually, that was a, uh, a front page, and then as you open the page, it was a double page colour spread on the inside of the Cambridge Evening News. Then a few days later, they did another one to extend to that. Now, what I want to say to you is this. We're not into just getting into newspapers. We didn't ask them to do that. They asked us, and we thought, well, it would be great. People get to hear God is doing real things. But what I want to say to you is this. The moment that my boss held that paper up, I didn't expect it was going to be front page news, and I was going to be standing there, called by someone else's name, and he said... And as I walked in the office, they had the HR team. Everyone was stood there and they said, they held the paper because what is this? <laughs> if there's any time that I wanted to swallow up in the floor and hide with pride, it's right there and then. I did not want to face them. It was like, wow, what am I going to say? And they said, what is this? And I said, well, I believe. Well, for months after that, I got real uh, kind of abuse in some ways. Some people won't put up with it, but I, I just, I put up with it. But people laughing, saying that, get him to touch you, he's got healing hands, he believes that God heals. You imagine what this did. People would say to me, laugh at me at work. And do you know what I did? I never let it get to me. But I used to turn around to him and say, God can heal. I didn't back down, hide my pride, guard my heart, and fear man. The fear of man's an evil snare, you know. So I didn't let, I didn't, I didn't get scared of man. And I want to tell you today, I risked everything. I put it on the line for Jesus. And I used to stand there at work and they could say whatever they wanted, but I didn't care. Because do you know why? Because I I wanted to see God do even more things than what that paper reported. And I thought, the moment now is my choice. Do I walk on to Jairus' house, to the house? Do I believe for greater? Or do I let people ridicule me and laugh and then stay where I am? Or do I risk everything? I believe today that what you're seeing and what we're Hearing and doing as a church together is because people in the past, not just me, risked everything and were willing to take ridicule and laughter when people thought that we were crazy. That article causes a couple of geezers and that's all we were. We weren't anything other than a couple of geezers believing that Jesus can heal the sick. Amen. Let's stand. Thank you for listening, and we trust that the Word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church, or to access our large archive of other recordings, go to www.kingscambridge.org. If you're listening on iTunes, we would love you to leave us some feedback. God bless, and goodbye.